Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Welcome to Pushing the Limits, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. Today, I have a scientist to guest on the show, Dr. Keith Boer. Now, Dr. Keith is a molecular biologist, and he works for a company called MyDNAge.com. Now, this is a company that uses Dr. Steve Horvath's epigenetic clock. This tells us our biological age. So we have a very interesting conversation around the difference between your biological age, uh, your your chronological age, and also their method of telling how old you are based on your DNA. So looking at DNA methylation um, as opposed to some of the other processes that look at biological aging uh, from other factors, and we get into a deep dive about looking at your biological age. Now, this is really interesting from a perspective from coaching, from um, trying to draw a line in the sand to see where you are now. And I can see this having benefits. We're looking at it for uh, our mastermind program where we're thinking about having this as our baseline to start from, where we can actually see what your biological age is at one point in time when you start, and then using that as we go through our program to see how you come out at the other end, and hopefully you would have lost a number of years off your life as far as your biological age is uh, going. So this is a very uh, interesting deep dive into this topic, so I hope you enjoy the show. And just before we go over to Dr. Keith, um, just like to remind you that I have my book, Relentless, coming out in just a couple of weeks time or four weeks time and it's on the 11th of March it launches it's available for pre-order now you can jump on my website hit the shop button and pre-order it and at the moment you'll get access to my Mindset Academy Mindset U for free if you join or buy the book in the pre-order stage. You'll also get a discount. It'll normally be retailing for $35. You'll get it for $29. Plus, you'll get access to Mindset U, a value of $275. So really good idea to go and jump in now and get it. And that helps me get the book rolling, get it out into the world. It's been a two-year-long process, so really excited to see that baby launch. As always, reach out to me if you've got any questions on this episode or on any of the other episodes that we've recorded. Um, And I'd really appreciate your help with ratings and reviews on iTunes. That really helps the show get exposure. And, of course, sharing it with your friends and family if you got value out of it. So thanks. And now over to Dr. Keith Brewer from MyDNH.com. Well, hi, everyone. Lisa Tamari speaking and here at Pushing the Limits. So thank you once again for joining me. Today I have a wonderful guest, Dr. Keith Brewer, uh, who is a biochemist. Is that correct, Keith? Yes, that's correct, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. Um, So Keith is uh, going to talk to us today about the biological clock. Um, He works for a company called MyDNA, which does um, testing of uh, your biological age as opposed to your chronological age. Um, And this is uh, a very interesting area. We in our company do uh, epigenetic testing with our athletes and clients. Um, so this is something that, that I'm very interested in finding out more about. Um, and Keith has um, kindly um, agreed to come on the show and talk to us about it. So Keith, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are and where you come from and, and the work that you're doing? Yes, certainly. So, so my name is Keith Boer. Uh, I'm a scientist. Uh, I work for um, uh, a company, Epimorphy, that offers the MyDNH test. This is an uh, epigenetic 
uh, based test to uh, quantify aging or biological age. Uh, my background, um, I got a PhD in biological chemistry um, from the University of California, Irvine, here in Southern California, where I now live, work, and where the company is headquartered. Um, I then uh, uh, joined a research company, Zymo Research, uh, also in California, um, where I started doing epigenetics research uh, in an industrial setting, and then transitioned to uh, working with uh, Epimorphy and offering the uh, MyDNH test. Wonderful. So can you tell us a little bit for, for the listener, what is epigenetics and the area of study of epigenetics, and, and what is on Earth a, a biological clock? <laughs> we could probably yeah, start. so I, I think so the scientific you know, definition of epigenetics, uh, so it's a biological term, so simply refers to any changes in gene expression that occur without altering the primary DNA sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, so what that sort of means in the lay context is any, any instance where our genetics interacts with the environment. So sort of nature versus nurture uh, concept. Um, so uh, what epigenetics then does at the molecular level is to help control gene expression or to help turn genes on or off or how strongly genes are expressed in the cell. I think an analogy that I've heard before, which is, it's not perfect, but I think gives you the idea would be that uh, our genes or our genetics would be the hardware with which we operate and epigenetics would be the software or instructions that tells that hardware what to do. Wow. Okay. So that. So in other words, our our environment, what we eat, uh, the 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 air, the the toxins in our environment, um, our exercise, whether we do any or not, all of these things will have an effect on how our genes express themselves. So we've got our sort of DNA code, which we can't really change, but what genes are turned on and off can be affected by our environment. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, so there's lots of studies uh, looking at uh, how epigenetics change in response to environment. So this, you know, in the past decade, decade and a half, uh, there's been a lot of progress made by the scientific community. So we know that, uh, you know, people that go on a controlled um, uh, exercise regimen, um, you know, when they start versus uh, when they stop after six months and compared to control group. Mm -hmm. So there are epigenetic changes that, is, that occur in a skeletal muscle. Uh, so we know that uh, people have also looked at adipose or the fat tissue and also seen epigenetic changes in response to uh, certain um, uh, exercise programs. We also know that smokers have a different epigenetic uh, marks that are uh, highly correlative with smoking um, that uh, uh, leaves epigenetic marks behind. Um, people in certain occupations where they're exposed to a lot of environmental pollutants such as coal miners, uh, certain mm -hmm. factory workers, also have uh, pronounced epigenetic changes compared to those that aren't occupied in such fields. I think so, another, so, sorry, uh, yeah, sorry, maybe another sorry. example, uh, just to really, uh, it would be easy to understand is if you look at twins, so twins are genetically identical individuals. Um, however, through the course of their lives, so we know it, you know, when they're young, uh, we can think of classmates in grade school with some twins. I mean, you couldn't tell them apart, right? Mm. But uh, uh, if we think of older twins, you know, throughout the course of their lives, uh, you know, they maybe move to different places. Uh, they're obviously uh, the families that they, you know, start, um, you know, they have different sort of traditions, different diets, perhaps they like to eat, you know, brought in from their own partners. And all these different influences um, impact their epigenetics, right? So these still genetically identical individuals, um, but the epigenetics change based on their environment and their lifestyle. And when they're older, they actually don't resemble each other as much as they did when they were uh, 
Sure. That's a really good example of, of, of the, the power of epigenetics, isn't it? I saw a, a photo of a pair of twins that I think were in the Oprah Winfrey show years ago. Um, and two ladies, one very, very overweight, one, one not, and identical twins. Um, and it's a really, it's an easy way to understand uh, how much your environment uh, affects your, your, or your epigenetics affects your, how you end up. Um, so in other words, we can't just blame mum and dad and our ancestors for what we've got. <laughs> right, we, have, right. we have some responsibility for how we turn out. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I think it's, um, it's actually allows us to take control and, uh, you know, kind of dictate where we want to be. So we can, we're not destined for some, you know, fate just based on our, our genetics. We, we can actually influence what those genetics uh, uh, do. Yeah, absolutely. So is this, um, so I've, I've read a lot of Dr. Bruce Lipton's um, work and, and, and books um, and, you know, have found this whole area really, really fascinating. But it's pretty new, isn't it, in the scientific world? Like we're talking, what, the last 30, 40 years of, um, of that, that scientists have really understood that the, it's not just your DNA that makes you who you are. Is it a pretty new field? Yes and no. Um, so I think we're all familiar with uh, uh, Charles Darwin and you know, his theories on evolution. Um, he's one of the preeminent scientists of modern world. Um, actually, before uh, Darwin, there's a French uh, scientist and philosopher, uh, Lamarck, who, mm-hmm. um, you know, he actually predicted that, uh, you know, how, what our, uh, our, our parents or uh, the, uh, the mother and father, um, the, the type of lifestyle they live, um, their environment will impact um, the children. So it's actually a heritable trait passed on just based on. So, you know, he said that if you were um, if your parents, if your father was a blacksmith, uh, you know, all the hard work um, that makes him strong will then be passed on to, to his children. Oh. Um, and like a giraffe that, uh, you know, needs to uh, stretch to reach the, the leaves remaining on the tallest branches of the tree, will you'll get a longer neck and then that'll be passed down to the next generation. And this is, this is a way that, that giraffes have evolved. Um, once Darwin's theories came out and were tested, uh, you know, Mendel then proved how um, genes, uh, kind of demonstrated how genes can, can, can behave a lot of Lamarck's theories were just, you know, kind of put in the, the dustbin of history and, and he was sort of laughed off or, you know, these were, these were sort of thought as ridiculous principles. Yeah. But uh, sure enough, as you, as you just mentioned, Lisa, um, in the past, you know, several decades, actually Lamarck's original theories have been proven to be, uh, have a lot of he was truth in, in scientific time. evidence. Yeah, he was before his time. And, and we know this to be true. I mean, the, the biology is clear. The um, and then we're learning more about it all the time. And even in, I think, 2014, um, you know, as these studies were coming out more and more showing the power of epigenetics, uh, he, you know, a portrait of Lamarck was on the cover of Nature magazine and they kind of featured and, you know, paid homage to his, his original theories. Wow. What a shame he wasn't around to see that. <laughs> I bet that would have uh, vindicated a lot of things. So, yeah. so in other words, so when we're talking evolution here or intergenerational uh, effects, um, I, I, I read somewhere that, for example, when a mother smokes and the, with the ba- babies in the in the womb, that that can affect the baby's DNA and then it can affect also her children's DNA. Is that correct? The intergenerational nature of of is that a is that a is that's not is that epigenetics or is that more genetic changes? 
Uh, well, so any genetic change that's altered in the, what we call the germline, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the male gametes or the female oocytes, um, that, that's certainly genetically heritable. Mm -hmm. um, changes that occur in our, uh, you know, the skin, for example, that, you know, I think we know examples that give rise to cancer or something. So those wouldn't be heritable, right? So like something like skin cancer. Um, epigenetics then, so, so for it to be heritable, it has to occur in the germline. So that, that would be the same for genetics or epigenetics. Okay. Um, so that's and whether, yeah, so we, so certainly genetic change is heritable. I mean, that's, that's very clear. Uh, epigenetics is, um, it, it's, it seems to also be true. There's lots of circumstantial evidence. It's very difficult to do these studies in humans uh, for obvious reasons. Hmm. Um, however, studies in other types of model organisms that biologists often use to you know, study different phenomenon um, indicates that indeed epigenetic inheritance, inheritance is, is a observed phenomenon. Um, I think uh, it's very strong evidence in plants. I mean, these, these, these traits are, I mean, they persist for dozens of generations. Wow. So um, as in mammals, um, you know, maybe more temporal. So two to three or even four generations, but not, uh, you know, not, not that stable, but, uh, but, that, but it, it appears that they are heritable. Wow. Okay. So, um, so we can affect our whole, yeah, the intergenerational aspect of it is, is quite interesting, but if we, if we just back up a little bit now and, um, go into the Dr. Steve Horvath's, uh, work and the Horvath clock. Um, and I believe that is the, the basis of the work that or his, his work is the basis of, of the testing that you do. Can you explain what Dr. Horvath discovered and, and what that means for biological age um, and what bio, you know, how, how, how we can use it, perhaps? Yeah, so this biological aging or epigenetic aging clock, um, so Dr. Horvath, I think, is the worldwide leader in this research. Um, so he originally published a study in 2013. There was actually another study that came out, actually a little before his, um, that did something very similar. Um, uh, so I should mention to him, he's a, Dr. Horvath is a uh, professor at UCLA, um, mm -hmm. he's a mathematician and, and biologist, computational biologist. Uh, so what both these research groups did, so Horvath at UCLA and then another group um, led by uh, Hannum at uh, UC San Diego, so both in Southern California. So what they did was they, they looked at um, the epigenetic uh, data for uh, thousands of individuals and they applied some uh, complex statistical mathematical algorithms and what they found was that there were patterns of uh, change, epigenetic change that occurs with age. Wow. And so by kind of uh, tapping into these different patterns, they could develop a model that would predict, predict age based on epigenetic information. So, so that's where the clock came from. So basically, depending on what your epigenetics show, you can then assign a biological age to an individual. So without any information on the individual yourself, if you can take just a, a, a drop of blood, you can actually say um, with with pretty you know high exactness, <laughs> what do you call it, ninety eight percent I think it is, um, how old that individual is based on the work from Dr. Horvath. So it, so most people fall into this this linear. Um, pattern that would say, well, this person has these markers on the DNA, therefore that person is uh, this age. Is that, is that how it works? That's correct. That's correct. So I think there's one, so it's not, it's not just that you want to predict an age, but it's actually assigning a biological age. Yes. Um, so I think that's a key 
kind of thing to keep in mind. So, um, you know, we talked about the twins uh, earlier, you know, a few moments ago, and we could see that some based on, you know, one was overweight and the other was uh, you know, more fit uh, based on their lifestyle choices. So uh, the, the, the choices that we make in our life, so whether we exercise or eat a healthy diet, um, other things, um, influence our epigenetics, which can turn in turn influence our aging. So we can actually have an accelerated aging compared to an average person mm. or actually a slower rate of aging compared to someone else. So the um, Horvath clock measures that, that biology. Uh, based on epigenetics. So, you, you know, you may be uh, 10 years younger biologically than your chronological age, which would be indicative of, you know, good health or very wow. positive lifestyle choices that you made. Do you see big swings in there, like, you know, like 10 years, or is it mostly that most people are in the, you know, within a year or two of their, their actual chronological age? So most people will be within a year or two. Uh, that's, that's, um, that's what uh, you know, Horvath and others have shown, and uh, that's what we see in our data. However, you do see outliers. Um, and I think every time we see a case where someone is, you know, we do see 10 or, or greater years difference. Wow. Um, it, it seems to be associated with, I mean, in almost in every case, there's some reason why. So some uh, known, um, uh, this person may be suffering from a genetic disease or think uh, one thing common and in, in, you know, people we've looked at is um, they've been treated with chemotherapy. So these are very powerful drugs that, uh, you know, obviously to, to treat cancer, but have very strong side effects. I mean, this is very well known. These, you know, some are just not tolerated well at all. Yep. And, yep. and we know these, these type of people have actually accelerated aging, very rapid yep. accelerated aging compared to an average person. Um, Do you see the other way? Like people who have lived a, you know, extremely good, healthy lifestyle with good food, good exercise, um, not too much stress, um, being, you know, 10 or more years younger than their uh, chronological age? So I don't think, just for lifestyle choices, I don't think we've seen a huge effect in that regard. Uh -huh. um, but there, we have seen some strong effect, I think, for uh, certain, people are doing certain targeted interventions. It's a little more... Um, than just you know trying to eat more vegetables or you know, run a little further. Um, these are taking drugs. So uh, I think metformin mm -hmm. is one that's uh, looked at very yeah. uh, seriously for some of these anti-aging effects. And we do see a pretty consistent, strong effect towards a slower aging. In, uh, metformin is, a, is an interesting one because doesn't it affect though negatively the, the mitochondria? Um, and, but, but, it was a little bit confusing when I, I looked into just some surface level uh, research on metformin, thinking, gosh, this sounds interesting. I want to have that. <laughs> um, uh, it, it produces more so longevity, but it can damage the, the mitochondria. How would that work? Because your mitochondria are part of this whole metabolic process. I mean, it's, it's probably too deep a question to, to ask you, you know, but um, do you know why? Well, that's that's a very good question. Uh, the short answer is no one knows why. Right. Um, so, so uh, yeah, there's sort of uh, antagonistic uh, effects on, or, or seemingly that would that would associate with adverse health outcomes. But the data show we know it. You know, it's been uh, uh, prescribed for type two diabetics for, yeah. for years and has very good uh, outcomes. And uh, um, uh, it seems to be off target prescribed for other uh, maladies as well. 
um, you know, the, the side effects are, are small. I mean, that's just based on, um, you know, lots of, of people taking the drug. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to have small side effects and clearly the benefits in most cases outweigh the, uh, whatever side effects may occur. Um, as to the reason why, I mean, it may be that the positive um, effects to regulate glucose metabolism, you know, insulin, yep. It's more important may be more important than the damage it causes for mitochondria, or we have, uh, you know, just uh, backup systems to deal with mitochondrial damage or stress that we don't have as robust. I mean, just as you know, living human beings that we don't have for um, when our glucose metabolism goes awry. So, for um, you know, that would be especially the case for you know people with diabetes or pre-diabetic. Um, has it the same effect then on the healthy, you know, um, the healthy person who doesn't have um, insulin resistance or any glucose problems? So, I, yeah, so we get this, I, I get this question a lot. I would be very careful about just taking any drugs, you know, yeah, getting them yeah. from certain websites, for example. <laughs> yes. I, I would I would consult a physician uh, for that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I know your listeners are probably very interested in what types of uh, uh, things they can do to to you know help their their yes, but please engagement. nobody don't go out there and do anything solid. <laughs> We're not advocating that. <laughs> we definitely want people to. Um, but but it's interesting to look at the data. I know that there was a study done just a couple of years ago, I think, by Dr. Horvath, um, where they were able to reverse the the epigenetic clock in a small clinical study um, mm -hmm. by giving people growth hormone and two diabetic medications, I, I believe one might have been metformin, um, and they took two and a half years off their, um, off their biological age. Um, that, that's, that's pretty exciting to actually be able to reverse. I mean, I know this was a small clinical trial and, and, and certainly not um, a big one, and obviously it's a very difficult area to do big, long studies in, but it would suggest that we're going to be able to, in future, reverse the aging process, which is super exciting, rather than just slowing it down. Yeah. So this was the study you mentioned was uh, that was a big one. So um, there's a lot of um, I don't know a lot, but there's a, there's a decent amount of studies. Uh, you know, the Horvath and others have been involved in showing on ways to slow the rate of aging. Yeah. But um, I was at a, a conference. Uh, actually, I, I gave a presentation along with uh, Dr. Horvath was a keynote speaker. And there's another a surgeon, uh, uh, Jim Watson. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, Jim Watson said, you know, we think that we will be able to reverse, actually reverse the clock. And, and Horvath was, this was January 2018. He was pretty, uh, he pushed back pretty hard on that idea. He said, you know, there's, there's nothing we found that can actually reverse aging clock. I, I, there's nothing in the data that shows that. And, and, but, you know, Jim Watson, he's, he's a prominent surgeon, you know, he works with patients and, you know, from his medical perspective, he's like, well, I respectfully disagree. Yes. And if you look at the authors on the paper, you mentioned Steve Horvath, but actually Jim Watson is, I think he's the senior author on that. Um, uh -huh. They ended up collaborating after this, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, looking into this further. ideas from the yeah. medical side. And then from, you know, Dr. Horvath, you know, using this, these, these epigenetic aging clocks. And sure enough, uh, just as you mentioned, the study showed it was small, but uh, it showed clearly that the aging was reversed in these individuals. In a, in a very short space of time, too, which is um, exciting to think what would happen if, if uh, these interventions were 
were, you know, extrapolated over a longer period of time. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I, you know, if you look at the, the intervention in that case, it was a drug cocktail. It was a two um, two hormones, DHEA, um, uh, I think, uh, human growth hormone. Right hormone yeah. And then, yeah, and then uh, metformin again was a, a drug they used to kind of help regulate some of the, the hormonal side effects of those drugs. Wow. Um, and it was this three drug cocktail. Um, uh, they uh, the original goal of that study was to help reverse some of the immune decline that's you know been well documented. We know our immune system starts to decline in uh, as we grow older, and uh, the thymus, of course, um, this uh, this organ that, that functions in, in immune you know healthy immune function uh, tends to get weaker and uh, uh, shrink uh, with age, and so that's what the the study was originally designed to just boost thymus function and the immune system, and uh, you know. The authors showed clearly, with, yeah, with with clinical um, measurements that the, you know thymus and immune function was restored, and it was then shown. That's when Horvath came in and looked at the, the epigenetics to show that actually it reversed in these um, people who had uh, you know responded well to the treatment. So, that's so really it was, and in a short time frame, as you mentioned, very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very exciting. There's hope for us who are aging <laughs> that we might be yeah, able to turn the clock back. So hurry up, you guys, get studying. <laughs> um, so with uh, the, the MyDNH test, um, which people, you know, the public can go and get this, guys. So if you're wanting to actually, after listening to this uh, episode, want to go and test what your biological age is, I'll give you the address. Um, it's just my, mydnh.com, so dnage.com, and you can order a test there and have this done, which I, I'm, I'm finding fascinating from a coaching perspective and from an you know an athlete's perspective to be able to draw a line in the sand and say, well, this is where we start from, and then we you know instigate our uh, epigenetic program, for example, and our training regimes and um, nutrition and so on, and then perhaps in six to twelve months' time retest to, to see what the the net effect was. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to be able to hopefully incorporate this into some of our of our programs and one of the reasons I reached out to you today um, but when we when we go to the look at the um, the testing that you do so you're looking at the DNA methylation is that right um, and and can you explain what DNA uh, what, what exactly that you're looking at at the when you're looking at the methylation marks on DNA yeah, yeah, that's right. So we're looking at DNA methylation. Um, so um, what you know, anyone who wants to use our test, our MyDNH test, um, we would send them a kit. Um, we would uh, it comes with a you know it's a little lance that we can take a blood drop um, that's put into a you know a special uh, uh, preservation solution or buffer solution that mm -hmm. to you know preserve the integrity of the sample, and then it can just be mailed back at room temperature, so it doesn't need to be frozen or you know kept cold or anything. Uh, they can also uh, send a urine sample as well, so it's 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 up to the uh, to each individual what they feel comfortable with. Um, uh, that's sent back to us from the blood or urine sample. We will extract the DNA and then perform some fancy chemistry to uh, quantify DNA methylation levels at a panel of genes that are known to be highly associated or highly informative of aging. Uh huh. Based on those values, we can then plug it into a, a mathematical model to predict the biological age. And again, this is this is based off of uh, you know Horvath and others, mostly Horvath's um, original publications. And then, you know, we 
we sort of make it uh, economical and available to you know, the broader public. And sorry, apologies, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so we can make that uh, that technology, um, which would otherwise not be accessible to you know non scientists, uh, the general public. We can make it accessible to them, uh, so they can they can get their own uh, biological age assessment. Yeah, it's, it's really really exciting. So, so you're looking at around two thousand different genes, um, or um, how, how do you how do you express it? Um, and well, there, it's, it's, there are signs yeah. on there that are saying basically there is damage here. So you're looking at damage markers? It's not, it's not damage markers per se. So specifically it's, it's DNA methylation. So a methyl group is, uh, you know, if you think from your organic chemistry, this is the most um, oxidized form of carbon, um, CH3, it gets added to DNA on mm-hmm. uh, bases known as cytosines, DNA bases known as cytosines. And um, when it's added, uh, Biologically, what's going on at the molecular level is it's influencing gene expression, so helping genes turn on or on or off. Um, and uh, these levels change over the course of our lives, and it's this change that can then be uh, related to 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 the the rate the at which we- markers. Okay, I get that now. So, does it take into consideration things like um, inflammation or cardiovascular health or kidney and liver function or metabolic uh, your metabolic state as well, or is that readable from this the DNA? Not with not with the MyDNH test. So if there's something specific like that, again, um, in consultation with a physician, um, if you're worried about your kidney health, metabolic health. Um, then, uh, you know, there's more specific tests to directly look at that. Right. But I think as a pan health indicator, um, it gives you some information. Right, because I know that there is, um, you know, other companies that do biological age tests that are based not on the Horvath clock, but on um, looking at these other types of biomarkers like your infl- inflammation levels and your, your cardiovascular health. And I was trying to understand what is the difference in this in the approach you know in the approaches and which one is um well going to give us a more exact um calculation if you like do you know of, of the other ones and, and and the difference between well um i mean so there's there's a lot you know people have been using like in the doctor's office um, just a grip a grip test or your gait um how well you walk or, yeah. or the way you walk but um you know there's a really broad error for those for people you know between the ages of teen until some point in your 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 older years um it's just not very not very very precise very precise um there's other molecular tests um uh even if if you look at dna methylation or other epigenetic tests they may focus on a single gene or just a few genes Mm -hmm. um but uh having a, a more focused you lose a lot of robustness so they can be more susceptible to small changes or small um, environmental insults that may actually not have a big impact. So by incorporating thousands of sites into the tests, which our MyDNA test does, it's, it's more robust to small changes. So it really yeah. gives a better overall picture. Yeah, that would be, that, you know, because when I, when I heard about things like grip strength and stuff, I was like, well, if I go to the gym a lot, obviously I'm going to have a lot more grip strength. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily, I'm biologically younger. 
Um, right, right. Yeah, basically you say I have a normal or or better than average, right? But yeah. and then or it's not good, right? I mean that's you get kind of a yes or no kind of a yeah. result from the test, but it's not it's difficult to say, you know. And then you know you're looking at um, also your 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 body type, you know, like whether you're you're a muscular person or you're a uh, someone who's more of a flexible person, you know, there's, there's just too much um, wavering in there. I mean, things like inflammation markers, of course, um, can look at the state of your health, but perhaps not the actual, you know, whether it's having damage. I mean, you can have inflammation markers because you've got a cold as well, can't mm -hmm. you? Um, which would then skew the, the data, so to speak, because you've had a, had a bad week. Um, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. And this wouldn't happen with the with this test. Um, so how I know you've done a TED talk that I listened to that was very interesting. If anyone wants to look that up, we can we can put that in the show notes as well. We've got an aging world population, and we have huge problems all around the world with our with our healthcare systems. Um, I think we probably can all agree with that. That. You know, we, we're yeah. heading into times where chronic disease is going to be costing economically governments and, and, and you know, a lot of suffering around the world and a lot of um, resources. Mm -hmm. um, so increasing health span is, is a mm -hmm. very important um, piece of being able to lower the costs involved with, with chronic disease. Would you see that as being one of the areas where this um this area of science is really really key and, and important um from a from an economic standpoint as well as from the personal suffering standpoint right yeah absolutely yeah right right i think the potential to benefit society is really uh there's a there's a lot that you know a, a dna aging test epigenetic aging test can can provide so it it, it is clearly the best tool to um, assess aging in an accurate and precise way. Um, and so by using this tool, I mean, whether it's you know, our company or researchers doing you know, their own labs or their own ways, um, those interventions which will have the greatest benefit can be more rapidly identified and you know, very uh, tractably, very cheap um, and accurate. So this, I think this is, you know, beyond just individual testing, which I think is important and, you know, very interesting. People can empower themselves by, by getting some information here, but broader for the broader uh, impact it can have on society can be really profound. Yeah. And I know you've, you've done a little bit of work with, um, you mentioned in your, in your talk, um, you know, looking at things like um, sporting age, you know, like um, if, if, if kids are, are really in the right age group or um, people who don't have documents working out, uh, how old they are um, when they're coming into countries, perhaps as, as refugees, without without any paperwork and th things like that. There's a there's a there's a whole lot of areas that this could be utilized in, couldn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the uh, <laughs> the youth uh, age testing, um, I think that's that's sort of a uh, the 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 uh, uh, consequences, you know, are not as as grave as like you know the the aging population that, that uh, you know, worldwide no. we face in Europe and, you know, to some extent, North America and Asia. But, um, but I, it just goes to show the, the potential applications for something like this. And actually, I just learned that, uh, you know, I did, did some work with the law enforcement in Germany 
uh, a couple of years ago um, for some uh, for forensics application of using this aging test. So uh, you can sort of age a, a person of interest in different uh, law enforcement investigations. Mm. Um, and uh, in part, thanks to that work, actually, I, I just found out that the law in Germany changed uh, December of uh, 2019 um, to sort of allow this scientific approach to, to uh, aging, wow. you know, Wow, to work out someone's so it's being yeah. it's being adopted in, in a lot of different areas. So, and I mean, oh yeah, and and for me, um, I, I think in, in working in the in the health as a health professional and, and training people and so on, it's just going to give us another um, weapon in our toolkit to get people motivated <laughs> and and moving and having a benchmark is really important. I think for us to well, this is where we've started from, and hopefully through different um, health interventions, we can see other results. Is there any way that we can, is there any of this being sort of quantified? Like what, what people are, you know, that are doing your test perhaps, um, and then doing different interventions, it, it, obviously not as a clinical study, but are you gathering any of the data of the interventions that people are undertaking to change their biological age, um, to see what has an effect? We, uh, so, I mean, we, we have to be, you know, sort of careful about this, right? So, that, I mean, the, the personal information of our uh, customers is, uh, yes, obviously. we can only do so much, right? I mean, and we're not, we're not trying to, um, but uh, what I can say, we work with clinics, certain clinics, uh, doctors. So the doctors are um, incorporating this test into part of their medical practice mm -hmm. and um, whether they're advising certain, you know, dietary interventions or different exercise programs, uh, they can use this for their medical uh, practice. I mentioned metformin earlier, we were working with a group uh, testing this. So that's something that we, you know, we can say um, has had a, a benefit uh, to the rate of aging in these, in the samples, the subjects that we've examined. Um, um, yeah, so I, I think. Uh, that, so that's got an interesting future too. I mean, what, what do you think, so are there any interventions which have been proven besides uh, metformin and growth hormone um, to actually uh, imp or, uh, slow down the aging or to reverse or stop the aging process um, or that have been proven to be beneficial? Is there, you know, like lifestyle interventions? So yes, yes, there are. Um, uh, so, but I, I need to qualify that. So this has been clearly shown uh, to... Uh, in laboratory uh, animals, so model research organisms. Um, and a lot of these, these pathways are uh, evolutionarily shared all the way from you know, simple yeast to more complex organisms like fruit flies, and uh, more recently into uh, mammals like mice, lab mice, uh, rats, or uh, even non-human primates. Mm -hmm. um, so there's clearly potential, um, you know, uh, some of these interventions are related to altering metabolic pathways. Mm -hmm. uh, insulin response. Um, um, I think one that's gained a lot of uh, interest in uh, you know the broader news media is uh, this compound resveratrol. Yes, resveratrol found in uh, grapes in higher concentrations in certain uh, nuts. Yep. Um, certain it's been shown to activate certain pathways uh, related to protecting our DNA or protecting our genes and genomes, and also influencing uh, metabolism in certain ways. So in laboratory animals, there's clear evidence to show that aging can be slow to reverse. Uh, in humans, um, it's not as clear. So again, it's more difficult to do these types of studies. Mm -hmm. um, 
yes. uh, ethical and logistical reasons. Yep. Um, but uh, uh, but metformin is a hot candidate drug, um, especially because it is well tolerated. So so this may be something that can be easily prescribed um, in individuals. Uh, we mentioned the study uh, that came out last uh, last fall, uh, where the uh, the growth hormone and metformin combination reversed aging in. Um, this was in, in a, a small cohort of uh, men from the ages of 50 to uh, late 60s, I think, mm -hmm. um, years of age. Um, in terms, so those are for reversing the aging clock. Um, there's also evidence showing that uh, the clock can be slowed from simple lifestyle changes. So uh, if we think about diet, so it appears that you know uh, eating more plant uh, plant-based uh, foods, so fruits and vegetables. Um, so uh, Carotenoid levels in the blood, um, you know, indicators of plant uh, metabolism, mm -hmm. uh, are associated with slower rates of aging. Uh, interestingly, uh, fish actually those who consume more fish seems to have the greatest impact on uh, slowing the rate of aging. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. Eat more fish. <laughs> uh, yeah, even greater than uh, the vegetarian diets. Um, that, that's what the data indicates at this time, at least. Okay. Um, uh, uh, also. Um, you know, we can look at things that accelerate the aging clock. Um, so uh, uh, certain uh, um, corn oil, uh, uh, certain um, uh, metabolic, insulin levels, uh, 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 triglyceride levels, um, you know, elevated or, or, or levels that are out of whack are associated with an accelerated aging. So these are indicators of a poor diet. Yep. Um, I think one that uh, everyone's sort of uh, interested to hear or happy to hear is that actually moderate alcohol consumption it's associated with a slower rate of aging. So, so um, we can have our old glass of red red wine with resveratrol in it. <laughs> I think I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this has been uh, um, also shown to have beneficial effects on heart health. Uh, so yeah. it's it's interesting to see that the studies uh, are agreement in that sense. You know, coming back coming at it from different angles, but you know, finding okay. beneficial health. So the the things that we sort of intuitively know that. Uh, exercise uh lots of uh fruit and veggies and um uh you know that type of thing it can definitely slow down the the aging clock but the exercise aspect of it is there uh, any sort of um uh data on that as to how much and, and what types of exercise or anything like that so not that i'm aware of so not that i'm aware of um uh, but that's but that's interesting. So what you say is, you know, people hear this and they say, okay, great, eat more vegetables. Uh, you know, I already knew that, right? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but it's interesting in the study, but I think you can see, right? So, okay, yes, vegetables are associated with slow rates of aging. So increase that. So it gives, we can show that in the data. But um, but what's really interesting about the clock, they say, but if you want, if there was one thing you could pick to slow your rate of aging, actually it's fish, right? So it's, it's uh, uh, it, it kind of shows you, um, you know, we can kind of rank these. So what's the most important thing? So, you know, vegetables are important, but actually, according to the data, fish is is even more important. Um, and, you know, also people that, you know, well, I've, done, I've been doing vegetables, I've been actively trying to, to do better. And, and, and so I, I've already incorporated that. But, you know, what else is there that, uh, that, I, that I might be missing? Um, so uh, olive oil um, seems to be also a beneficial uh, dietary component that can be incorporated into types of the rate of aging. So, so what the, the clock does is it's able to quantify these and, and really pinpoint with some precision what yes. uh, dietary yeah. Uh, yeah. 
rather than just what our, our feeling is and what we've, you know, other types of studies have, have, have said. What about ketones and the keto diet? Um, any, any data there on MCT oils or ketone esters or, or anything like that? Again, I'm not familiar uh, with those studies. Uh, we haven't conducted any, and we're not working with anyone uh, specifically looking at this sort of thing uh, yeah. that I'm aware of. Some, What's again, you know, a lot of institutes and clinics are incorporating different things. We don't necessarily know what they're doing. And, I mean, it could be very well be that uh, you know some of these changes are being prescribed or administered in a certain way. I, I simply don't know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Um, so th this is, but you know, to actually get the data, to get some concrete data, is actually really, really helpful in in strengthening the arguments for fruit and vegetables and cutting out the the donuts and the the, uh, the biscuits and, and the sugar and so on. Um, and and the more data we have behind that, the better. Um, what um, I had um, a Dr. Andrew Bill Andrews on on the podcast uh, a wee while ago. Um, looking at telomere lengthening and uh, anti-aging, is there any sort of uh, crossover between those sort of areas, like in the anti-aging sciences? And um, do you look at at, at, at telomere length uh, is or anything like that in these biological tests, or is that completely different area of science? It is different. It is different. Um, so telomeres uh, have been, um, I think, before. Uh, Horvath and Hannum's studies a few years ago came out showing the power of epigenetic uh, aging assessments. Uh, telomeres were probably the most popular molecular mm. test to look at this. Um, since then, um, you know, clearly the, these DNA methylation clocks are by far the most accurate, uh, most precise, and robust uh, to measure biological aging. Um, Horvath and others um, uh, tried to uh, kind of assess this interaction between telomere length and uh, you know epigenetic change, yeah. and they found that they're not measuring the same thing. So they okay. they're in, in the biology is they're looking at different things, um, and uh, you know I I think for you know telomeres you know just in my opinion I, I think they've been sur surpassed uh, by the power of the you know uh, inherent robustness of looking at epigenetics to assess wow. aging. Okay. Um, I think you know concrete example of this is so the telomere length so the longer the telomere is sort of the slower aging or more youthful that's that's the basic idea and as those shrink it indicates increased age or advanced age that's yeah. that's the basic idea that's right um we find that this you know completely breaks down when you look at something like cancer where a hallmark is the ability to increase the length of telomeres to kind of uh you know maintain the integrity of cancer cells or tumor right. cells yeah, and if you and if you look at it from that perspective, they would look biologically young. Um, if you look at the same type of tissue, cancer tissue, according to the epigenetic clock, I mean these show very accelerated aging. So it's it's clear indication of poor health. Uh, the telomere test wouldn't be able to show that at all. It would wow. show the opposite. Okay. So, that, so it's a, it's a really um, you know emerging area of science that that's um, going to be interesting in the next few years to watch. Um, Keith, thank you so much for your time today. Is it? I think we've 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 covered quite a lot of ground. Do you think there's anything we've missed out that that people should hear about um, in regards to doing, you know, like doing a my DNA test? Can you actually, because we're sitting in New Zealand, and obviously a lot of my uh, listeners are in New Zealand and Australia, can you do the test from that far away uh, when you're going to be sending it in the post? 
Yes, so uh, the test, so I think uh, we're just trying to get the uh, logistics, um, you know, business-wise, uh, just the paperwork in order to, we've gotten a, a lot of demand in uh, Australia, New Zealand, yep. you know, Oceania broadly. Uh, currently, we're only offering in North America, um, in Europe, um, Canada, U.S., and, and, and uh, Europe. But we're trying to get uh, New Zealand, Australia. That should be soon. So uh, any listeners in, in New Zealand or thereabouts, that should be available very soon. Uh, technically, there's no issue. So the uh, once the kits arrive, um, the blood or urine sample can be uh, mixed with the uh, preservative solution, this, this preservation buffer. Yep. And shipped yep. back to uh, our labs in California at room temperature uh, with no problem. So, okay, so we should be all right to do that still already, the test, even though you haven't got the laboratories and stuff down here. We can already, you know, do that and send it back. Um, look, thank you so much for your time today. I think um, this is a really interesting area of science, um, and um, I encourage people to think about doing these tests because, you know, it will give you a line in the sand to, to motivate you. I think there's a, a lot of, um, you know, uh, motivation is a big key to being successful in your endeavours to be fitter and stronger and better and um, faster and, and all of those sort of good things and turning the, or slowing down the clock or turning it back even. Um, so having tests like this that are available to the public directly um, is exciting. You know, I think it gives us another thing that we can do that we can uh, then use to help better our lives, you know, as we, as we move forward. So yeah, that's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's the mission of, uh, you know, making this test available to the, the broader, the broader public. So. The more things that are available direct to the public, the better in my opinion. <laughs> you know, it's not dangerous and, you know, but being a bit of a biohacker, obviously, um, have a bit of a, a bias towards having your own power and making your own decisions. But um, I think this one is a, you know, it's a, it's a no brainer. You know, if you, um, it costs obviously, but apart from that, if you, um, you want to try this out, uh, I'll have the links in the show notes. And Keith, thank you so much for your time today. I wish you well with all your studies and we'd um, love to stay in contact and um, yeah, very, very interesting conversation today. Oh, my pleasure, Lisa. It was great to, to speak with you. Thank you very much. If your brain is not functioning at its best, then check out what the team at vlight.com do. Now, vlight produces photobiomodulation devices. Now, your brain function depends largely on the health of the energy sources of the brain cells, in other words, the mitochondria. And research has shown that stimulating your brain with near-infrared light revitalizes mitochondria. I use these devices daily for both my own optimal brain function and also for other age-related decline issues and also for my mum's brain rehabilitation after her aneurysm and stroke. So check out what the team do at vilight.com, that's V-I-E-L-I-G-H-T.com and use the code TAMITI at checkout to get 10% off any of their devices. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.